1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? And I always say Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here, but also to the church in Azul as he says, I appeal to you, brothers. And he doesn't say sisters, but that's included in brothers, ladies. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may, may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Let's pray together. Father, help us understand and apply these words through your spirit today. Make us teachable. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today my message is entitled, How to Win Any Argument in Three Easy Steps. How about that? How to Win Any Argument in Three Easy Steps. Of course, it's a lie. I think I put a disclaimer down at the bottom. Uh, yeah, you can't. Uh, not easy steps. If you're looking for some quick, easy remedy, you're not going to get it here or anywhere else. Now, there is a simple remedy. We're going to look at that from the words of Christ himself. But even though it's simple, it is not easy. If you want an easy remedy, here you go. Three ways to win, uh, well, what did I say? Three ways to win any argument in three easy steps. Number one, I just wrote these down. Confess, concede, and repent. <laughs> or stop it, stop it, stop it. Or say you're sorry, don't roll your eyes, give them chocolate. <laughs> Needless to say, there are no easy solutions, but there is a surprisingly simple solution. But before I get to that, let me say, I wish I could tell you that there is some way to avoid all conflict in your life. I would long to see the news because the news is all of every story's conflict. Every story. A balloon flies over. <laughs> you know, we shoot it down. Everything, everything in the news is conflict. And we become, uh, we have our own conflict, by the way, but we become saturated by all the conflict in the world. Everybody's in everybody's business all the time and everybody's having conflict with everybody and this family is over here having a problem. Everybody knows about it and everybody get involved in all this and all this, this not only this family, but this, this town and other towns and this state and other states and this country, other countries. There's so much conflict and we're just drowning in it all the time. It wasn't intended to be that way. Jesus knows that it's all we can do to deal with the conflict in our own life. And there is conflict. While it would be easier to not have any conflict, the truth is everyone has conflict. Jesus had conflict every day. Paul, the apostles, the prophets of the Old Testament, all of them had conflict in their life. So everyone, you and me, are not exempt from conflict. We have conflict. Sometimes it cannot be avoided. Jesus knew we would need some tools to manage that conflict and resolve disagreements in our life. In the 1950s, there was a television series entitled Father Knows Best. In the series, how many of y'all remember that? Father Knows Best, quite a few of you. In this series, the actor Robert Young played the character of Robert Anderson, the wonderful father who had endless patience and wisdom and who was married to an attractive, submissive, 1950s kind of wife and was the father of three delightful, ideal children. Oh, to live a black and white life. 
Problems would arise, of course, but nothing that would offend the sponsor or nothing that could not be resolved in the space of 30 minutes. Ooh, that's nice. But that was television. In real life, Robert Young was leading a troubled life. He was an alcoholic, prone to violence and depression. For decades, he struggled with thoughts of suicide. There is in his story a spiritual truth that in many families, the smiling faces are only a fascade. Beneath the smiling surface, there are often lives deeply, deeply troubled by more conflict than they feel that they can manage. How do you deal with your conflict? It, it, the question today isn't, do you have conflict? You all have conflict. I have conflict. The question is, how do we deal with conflict? By the way, I started to give this message a different title, so I'll start with that. And the, the title that I could have given it is How to Lose Any Argument in Three Easy Steps. Instead of how to win an argument, we're actually better at losing an argument, are we not? In fact, I, I couldn't even narrow it down to three steps. steps. I, I should have entitled How to Lose Any Argument in Six Easy Steps. And these are easy, by the way. Simple and easy. And so you might know somebody, uh, not, not you, of course, and nobody beside you, but you might know somebody who argues in one of these ways. Number one, overwhelm them through intimidation, through being domineering, or verbally overpowering the other person. It's a contest of volume. Number two, patronize them. Condescend to them. Speak to them like you would a little child. Men, it's called mansplaining. Ladies, it's called mama mode. I may have shared with you, uh, my children, of course, went through uh, elementary school, and while they were in elementary school, which has been years ago now, they're all huge, but back when they were tiny, I would go pick them up every day at the end of class, and I would get in this big, long line, and I would wait for uh, the, the, the child, the, the teacher, by the way, a teacher would be standing there, and they would look at our cars, and on the front dash of the car would be the name of your child on a piece of paper or a piece of cardboard, a little placard with your child's name on it. So they identified the child with you, and with that child, they would go get the child and hand the, the child over. That's how the transfer worked. Of course, over the days, weeks, and months, I got to where I knew all the teachers. The new teachers all knew me. We saw each, saw each other every single day, and it's not that big of a town. And one day, my car was being repaired. I was in a rental car, and I didn't have my placard. And so the teacher, instead of giving my child to me, even though she knew who I was, she knew where I pastored, right across the street, and we'd seen each other many, many, many times. She came up to the window. I rolled down the window, and, and here's what happens, ladies, and I know it's a tough thing. She's a school teacher. I've been a school teacher. I taught for three years. And for eight hours, she had been talking to little children using her little child voice. You know, that voice that you speak to little children. And she forgot to transition to grown-up voice. And so she came up to me in this super patronizing tone. Didn't mean to, I'm sure, I hope. But she said to me, now... Uh, we're supposed to have our placard out. <laughs> I wanted to hit her with my Bible. <laughs> so that's 
how we deal with arguments, men, ladies, sometimes in our conflict, we, and by the way, this is not intended as a sermon for marriage couples, married couples, it's for every relationship. There's only one point in this message that doesn't apply to marriage, believe it or not, and I'll get to that in a minute. But sometimes when we're having conflict, we're tempted to patronize people and condescend to them. Doesn't work out ever. Three, identify who is guilty uh, and who is to blame and identify who is the victim. And, of course, we're always the victim. Four, get the last word. <laughs> it's not who's right or wrong. It's who gets to be the last one to speak. Number five, threaten to leave. Number six, remember a happy relationship is not the goal. Winning the argument is the goal. Now, again, those are steps on how to lose an argument. And not, not biblical steps on how to win an argument. So how do you win an argument? Well, I'm going to share with you right now. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. These are the words of Christ, by the way. Again, he was a master at dealing with conflict. He had it every day. But how he dealt with every single relationship and every conflict is brilliant. He says this. If your brother sins against you, and I know it says brother uh, I'm assuming he's not suggesting that only men have conflict. <laughs> Ladies, that includes you too. Uh, but he says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So if you want to win a disagreement or an argument biblically, you first need to understand what the word winning means. If you want to win the argument. Jesus would say winning is that the relationship is restored. And a lot of times when we have conflict, we speak in a way that doesn't care if the relationship is restored or not. We care about other things. We want to win the argument by proving that we're right and you're wrong. But that's not how Jesus would see it. Jesus would say winning is that the relationship is restored. If winning is proving you're right, then you're going to lose, even if you win. If winning is convincing yourself and others that you're the victim, you're going to lose even if you are the victim. If, however, you want to restore the relationship and resolve the conflict, Christ himself gives a very simple, not easy, but simple four-step plan. Actually, it's a three-step plan that I'm going to share with you on how to handle conflict. How we can win through resolution. We make things so complicated, but Jesus makes it simple. We would save ourselves so much heartache if we would just simply follow the directions that Jesus gives us. So what does he say here? Well, first, uh, our, our first approach to them, have a private conversation. In Matthew 18, verse 15, if you look there at the very first verse, says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother 
over. Now, just a couple of quick things you notice, first of all. It says, if your brother sins against you. Here, now we're going to talk about the other way in a minute. It doesn't say, if you sin against your brother. If your brother sins against you, if somebody sins against you, if they have wronged, you feel that they've wronged you, you cannot, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, go home and sulk about it and say, well, they, they did the wrong. They need to come to me and apologize. I'm not going to go to them. They got to come to me. They did it. You ever heard that attitude? You ever have that attitude? That's not what Jesus says. He says, if you have an offense against somebody, you go to them. Share with them that it was an offense and just between the two of you. A quick word, though, in doing this about timing. Because I want to share with you another thing that Jesus said about when you should take step one. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, that is, you're the one that's doing the wronging, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, this has two things right there. Number one, he tells you to do it immediately. Right there. Don't, don't even do your offering. You, you go take care of your, your relationship business before you come into worship. So immediately, quickly, right then, right there. Not next week, not next month, not next year, and not de next decade. As soon as possible, the best time to resolve anything is immediately. The second thing we see in this, and this is very important, is your, your relationship with your God and your Savior is directly affected by your relationships with other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. The greatest commandment. But Jesus says that the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Our relationships with others affect our relationship with God. And so if you have bad relationships with everybody and you come into worship and you go, I just don't feel very close to God. Well, there may be a reason for that. If you're, you're mean and ugly to everybody else, don't expect to have a good relationship with God. So it, it, they're intertwined. So Jesus says to do this immediately. If you break your leg, now I'm not a doctor, but if you break your leg, snap it in two, the best time to deal with that is immediately. Don't say to yourself, well, let's give it a couple months <laughs> and then let's see what happens. If not, I'll go to the doctor. No, you, your treatment should come sooner rather than later because if you wait till later, it's just going to be worse. It's going to be a big mess. There are going to be more surgeries or you'll lose your leg. Unresolved conflict injures the soul and spirit. It wounds your heart and treatment should happen as soon as possible. Now, I want you to notice this in this passage and this is so very important. Go back to our, our verse for the day. Listen to what he says. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. We live in a world that does not comprehend just between the two of you. Everything is out everywhere all the time. 90% of the news, not all of the news, but 90% of the news is none of our business. Every wrong and every 
state and every town. You know how many towns there are in the United States? I don't know either, but it's a lot. And we're in everybody's business all the time. Again, you and I, Jesus would say this, you need to worry about you. Stop, stop going everywhere else and looking at everybody. Focus on your own needs and your own relationships. That's where it should begin. In other words, Jesus is saying, as best you can, when you have conflict, keep it private. Don't spew it everywhere. Keep it private. Do not immediately involve others. Now, we're going to see in, in the step two and three that there is a time to involve others, but Jesus really wants you to take this step first. Keep it between the two of you. Keep it private. Don't involve others. And by the way, if you're one of the others, somebody comes to you and they haven't even tried to resolve it with the other person. Instead, they come to you and they spew your, their issues all over you and that conflict. They tell you all about what that person is doing, what they did wrong and how they hurt them and all of those kinds of things. The psychological term is you're being triangled into that conflict. Do not allow people to triangle you into their conflict. It is, I don't know how else to say this, it is none of your business. Not supposed to be your business. If they haven't done step one especially, stay out of it. If they do come to you and they're spewing about all the problems that this person caused or what this person said or what this person did and how it hurt their feelings and all, immediately stop them and say, wait, 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 have you done step one? <laughs> Have you done step one? Go to them privately and try to resolve it. Don't just spew at them or yell at them, but keep it quiet. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell me anything. Keep it private. So if you're one of the others, know that they're trying to triangle you into their issues. Don't let them do that. By the way, and this is rhetorical, don't answer. <laughs> Do you tend to do that? Do you drag everyone else into your conflicts and disagreements? It, that, is the, that is the standard way of doing it in our world, but not in the kingdom. Now, the way we involve others, the way that we involve others in our conflicts has admittedly changed a bit in recent years due to social media and the internet. Instead of telling one or two others, and skipping step one, now we tell hundreds or thousands of people instead of one. Isn't that interesting? I never cease to be stunned that a certain percentage of people on social media who choose to use the platform of social media to air their dirty laundry. Whether on Facebook, Twitter, or other sites, if you're someone who does that, stop. Someone who is spewing your personal grievances with someone that you know on social media. I'm a, if you do that, I'm about to share with you something that nobody else wants to tell you. And by the way, before I say this, this is not re any of the rest of this sermon. I'm not responding to a particular problem. Don't sit out there and thinking, oh, he found out. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to know. Okay, so uh, this is just a general thing before you think, because I have people, anytime I deal with something like this, I have people that tell me on the way out, you, Pastor, you were talking to me, weren't you? It's kind of a confession at that point. And I say, no, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? So anyway, but if you air your dirty laundry on social media publicly, you have conflict with people and you spew that on social media, um, I'm going to tell you what the reality is from that. 
Nobody will want to tell you this, I'll tell you. While you may get an occasional reply of sympathy, 99% of everybody who reads your posts believes that you are the problem automatically. Because emotionally healthy people do not spew their issues and their conflicts in a public forum. You just don't do that. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, listen, get online. And by the way, I guarantee you, Jesus knew what online meant. He's the only one that does. He was in charge of not only everything in the world, but everything in heaven. He's connected. <laughs> and he doesn't put that in here. Go, just the two of you. Or, if, if you deal with it privately, or just get on social media and just slam them. Just lambast them. That's, that's good too. That's a good idea. Um, it's slander. It's vindictive and it's unbiblical. It does nothing to move toward resolution. So why do we do it? It's a lot of fun, by the way. Why do we do that? Why do we slander others online? Well, we, we spew out our personal issues with someone else in a public forum. When we do that, it's a kind of psychological posturing to persuade the public that you are the victim and they're the bad guy. And if enough people believe that you're the victim, then you must be a, the victim. Regardless of facts, you turn your issues into some sort of democratic thing. If you get enough votes, then you're right and they're wrong. You feel that they've harmed you and you want to harm them back, period. They have disappointed you, so you want, to you want to disappoint them. Now, the results are twofold. One, you have just destroyed your relationship with that person that you slandered. You've blown it. And a lot of times, or I would say every time, when we get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever your social platform is, and we talk smack about somebody we know, we're not really trying to resolve anything. We're just, we're just mad and we want to hurt them. Secondly, if you do that, you have now announced to every one of your friends that if they ever say or do anything that you don't like, you're probably going to get on social media and slander them too. And so you end up with no friends. People stop calling. Friends and family stop coming by because they don't want to get slandered on Facebook or Twitter. So if you're on a social media platform and you have no friends, instead of blaming everybody, you might want to go back and read your old posts. But God doesn't want you to be without friends. Remember, God loves you. He, he wants you to be at peace and he wants you to have joy in your relationships. But to do that, you have to work through your disagreements in a biblical way. And social media isn't it. Just you and them privately. So he says, if you go back to the verse, you meet in person. He says in verse 18, excuse me, verse 15, uh, uh, verse 15, the very first verse. Sorry, I'm just testing him to see if he's on the ball there. If your brother sins against you, go and show. Go means in person. No angry email, no phone calls, no letter, no social media, no texting. Jesus knew there would be texting one day. He doesn't mention it in here. Texting doesn't count. 
You go and show. Go to them and show their faults to them. Let them know how you feel in person, just you. Any other, any other thing than a face-to-face -face conversation is biblically unadvisable. Also, here are a couple of guidelines when you go to them and show them their faults. Number one, affirm the relationship. Affirm the relationship. Let the person know that you're seeking to resolve the conflict, not assigning blame. Let the person know up front how much they mean to you. Even in your conflict, you can stay loving. Number two, make observations, not accusations. Make observations, not accusations. What's the difference? Well, it means addressing actions that have occurred rather than pointing a finger and attacking the person personally. Use I statements instead of you statements. I feel that you did me wrong is better than you're a liar. You don't care about anybody but yourself. Those are just cheap shot accusations that do nothing to resolve anything. Nobody's ever going to respond to that and go, you know what, I am a liar. Thank you for sharing that. Problem solved. Number three, get the facts. After you make your observations, allow the other person to respond. There may be things that you have misunderstood or not have been aware of. When the other person is responding, keep your ears open and your mouth closed. Resist the temptation to interrupt them. Let them finish. You would want them to do the same for you, and they should do the same for you. Number four, promote resolution. Promote resolution. The point is not to fight, to win, or to prove someone wrong. The point is to restore. Almost, not all, but almost all conflicts can be resolved in this first step. But if you can't get any resolution, that is, if the person is unmovable, if they're unwilling to resolve that with you, if, they, if you can't phase them, in spite of your best efforts, go to step number two. Look with me in Matthew 18, verse 16, the very next verse. Gather a few wise, mature Christians from the church and try again. That's really step two. It says this, Jesus says, but if he will not listen, take, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. A couple of warnings here. Do not skip the first step. Okay, you, you've got to do the first step first before doing step two. Step two is not a good way to deal with it if you haven't even tried step one. Also, do not bring in lost people who have no respect for the Word of God. They don't even know what this, any of this that Jesus is saying. They don't get that. They don't think of resolution in that way or arguing in that way. So don't, don't take people who are lost as your witnesses. Third, do not bring in your buddies that you have prepped into a frenzy by pouring out every sort of detail to get them on your side and then all gang up on the other person like an angry mob. That is not what Jesus is instructing here. He's very clearly wanting your witnesses, I assure you of this, to be neutral. They are witnesses. They are there to see how the other person responds. You say, they, I went to them privately and they weren't having any of it. They weren't trying to resolve anything. Now you're having the same conversation again with witnesses there to confirm or not that in fact they're not trying at all.
That's what they're there for. They're not, they're not the jury. They're not the judge. They're not the prosecutor. And they're not your fully fellow bullies that you're just going to jump all over that guy. Now you got them outnumbered three to one. Okay? They are witnesses. If this step fails, move on to the final step. And this is rare. Uh, Matthew 18, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now again, do not skip the first two steps and just go straight to the church. My first year in ministry, I've been pastoring for 30 years. Uh, um, and my first year as a pastor, one of the deacons wrote a letter for me to read to the congregation about their marriage ending in divorce. Ah, never do that again. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, oh, my goodness. I, 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 I found out very quickly. Um, don't skip the first two steps and move straight to going to the pastor. And if you come to me, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, tell me about the first two steps before we bring it to the church. Over 30 years, there's only twice that I can think of that have actually had to deal with this on a church-wide basis with two individuals. One of the individuals we had to call the police on. So it's pretty bad when you have to call the cops. But, um, but other than that, it's just extremely rare that this step should ever need to happen. It does happen, but it is rare. Remember, Jesus himself is saying this. And how exactly did, by the way, he says, if it doesn't work, you do what? Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Well, actually, he was extraordinary, generous, and kind to them. He, he had a knack for changing the lives of tax collectors. One of them was a disciple, Matthew. Zacchaeus was a better angry little tax collector, and Jesus transformed his life. So if you think, well, I can just spit in his face, that's not what Jesus did. He never spat in anybody's face. As frustrated as he may have been sometimes. I read this week about a woman who attacked her house with a forklift. Maybe you've heard this story. She got in disagreement with her husband. And uh, before I read the, the article, uh, her husband was a, a neat freak, a little uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. He liked the silverware on the table in perfect alignment. And so apparently they had a disagreement about the forks on the table, believe it or not. It actually happened. Diane, if I'm saying this last name wrong, Fitpaldi, uh, who lives on 2013 Sunset Lane, told Municipal Court Judge Levi Grantham that she had launched the attack. She went out and rented a forklift. She had <laughs> and plowed through her own house, by the way. She had launched the attack as part of a long-standing feud with her husband about housekeeping. She said, Oliver is a horrible neat freak, and he drives me nuts about keeping everything tidy. After the couple argued about the proper alignment of table place settings, Fitpoldi rented a 3,000-pound pneumatic tire forklift Tuesday evening and drove it through the front wall of their one-story frame house. According to neighbors who witnessed the incident, she used the machine to smash the dining room table. 
Oliver yelled at me about where his fork was supposed to go, she said, and I'd figured I'd fix it with a fork lift. <laughs> Neighbor said Fitpaldi seemed wild-eyed and distraught during the tack and kept screaming, fork this, at her husband who took refuge in the kitchen. Well, maybe your unresolved conflicts aren't that destructive physically, but emotionally and spiritually, they take their toll. I, I, I bless her heart, she had no idea that preachers probably all over the country and the world would be using that as an example of how not to deal with a relationship. This is the guidance of the world. If you don't like what the other person is doing, you get back at them, get your revenge. Tore up her own house because of that. Oh my goodness. I hope you're not to that phase. Not easy, but it is simple. Go immediately, quickly. Share with them how you feel with the purpose and the goal of resolution and restoration. If that doesn't work, go find a couple of mature Christian believers that you know and that you trust. Don't tell them the whole thing. Don't tell them the whole sordid story. Just simply say, I am having conflict with this person. I've gone to them privately and I've not been able to resolve it. They didn't seem open. Would you go with me while I try one more time? And if that doesn't work, come and see me. If you're at step three, come and see your pastor. L let me try. Let us try together. Again, always for Christ and for us in the kingdom, the goal is restoration. Lastly, I'll share this, and you know I'm going to say this. Jesus forgave. And a lot of our issues are issues simply because we are unwilling to forgive the wrongs that are committed against us. If you're unforgiving, you can do all the steps you want. It's not going to matter. This is not an option other than forgiveness. Jesus was the master of forgiveness. And that's what made his relationships so amazing, including his relationship with you and me. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today. We acknowledge that we have conflict. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes we're not the one that, did, that, that was wrong. Sometimes we did the wronging, and we know it. So, Father, I pray that you would help us on either side of the table to have the same goal of resolution and restoration, of peace, of unity, as Paul told the Corinthian church. Father, it may be a spouse, maybe with our parents or our children, somebody in our household, maybe more indirect, maybe an aunt or an uncle or a distant relative that we haven't... We haven't contacted in years. It may be a neighbor that lives right by us. And one small thing grew and grew and there was no forgiveness and no resolution. And now it's this terrible thing that we don't even want to live in that house anymore. Maybe someone at work, someone we work for, or someone that works for us. Maybe a classmate at school. Only you know. We all have conflict, Father. I pray that you would help us to do our part according to your word and your guide that you give us.
to resolve as many relationships as we can today. Before the sun sets tonight, we may have some calls to make. We may have some visits to make to resolve and restore. As you're praying, no one's looking around. What about your conflicts? How do you deal with them? Are you domineering in those conflicts? Do you have to get in the last word? Are you vindictive? Do you call them names and slander them? Or are you a person who doesn't go to them at all? You just get on the phone or on social media and you slander them to everybody else. If you do that, I, first of all, in terms of restoration, I challenge you to go to your Savior and say, Father uh, or Savior, I have, I have been doing this all wrong. And I know it. I don't deal with conflict well. Help me. Forgive me. And then I want to challenge you right now, right where you are, to make a commitment to God. I challenge you to do this. God, I resolve to do what Jesus told me to do. Forget what the world tells you to do. Forget what your ego tells you to do or your anger tells you to do or your bitterness tells you to do. Do what your Savior tells you to do. You will find it is remarkably effective. And it's not easy going to somebody else one-on-one. It's not easy. Keep it private. Keep it personal. Keep it from the heart. And always be loving, moving towards resolution. Would you make that commitment this morning? God, I'm going to try it your way. I've messed it up my way. Today, I commit to trying it your way with this person in my life or that person in my life. And you know who they are. Would you be willing to do that? Maybe God is speaking to you this morning. You want to come and kneel and pray about something. Or maybe God is calling you to join with First Baptist Church. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ and make that public. Everybody that Jesus called, he called publicly. There were no secret Christians. Not supposed to be. Jesus said it this way, If you will confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That's why we call it a public profession of faith. Because that's what he required. Just want to come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray. This invitation, this opportunity is for you. What relationships in your life need mending today? Everyone stand. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you pray, as you stand right now, you come.